Welcome to The City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. I'm going to do something that I've never done before. Um, I have never taught a full message on anxiety ever, Um, but I want to, and I am this morning, all right? Um, and so this is completely brand new material. Um, I told Pastor Shane, like I asked him, hey, is anxiety something that's relevant or will half the room be bored if I talk about anxiety? And he said, no, it's, it's super relevant. And so I felt like, man, it's, gonna, it's a morning session. Um, I got a chair, okay, because I want to be calm. <laughs> I got my laptop, all right? Um, and so I, I want to teach on anxiety today, all right? Um, And I want to give you guys like practical tips because here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. There is no Goliath. There is no Goliath that has the right to taunt you, to torture you, and to make you live beneath the means of abundant life that Jesus has purchased for you. There is no Goliath that has the right to taunt you, to torture you, and stand there in your life and not die. Hello. The Bible that I read says that you have dominion, that you have authority over every giant. And I believe that anxiety is the Goliath of our age. Okay. Anxiety is the Goliath of our age. And, and I think in the church, there are two extremes. So if you're taking notes, this is a great place to start taking notes. I believe in the church, there are two extremes. And, and tell me if this resonates with you guys. Okay. And here's the deal. Based on how this talk goes, we'll determine if I keep doing this talk other places. Okay, I'm being real. I'm being dead serious. We're testing some material today. And and so we're all testing this material because here's the deal. If this ministers to you, then that means it will minister to young adults in Denver. It will minister to young adults in Miami. It will. So I'm, I'm it's at the top of the year. And every January, I every January, I read through the entire Bible in January and I determine what sermons I'm going to preach for the remainder of the year. And so this is actually not just, I don't want to just bless you, but I want you guys to be a blessing to all the other young adults that I'm going to preach to for the remainder of the year. So if this blesses you, like, I need to know, all right? So, um, so number one, there are two extremes when it comes to church and when it comes to Christians dealing with anxiety. Let me tell you the first extreme. The first extreme is to just be ashamed that you deal with anxiety. And to deny that it's even there and to act like you don't deal with anxiety because you know that the Bible says don't be anxious. You don't even confess or admit that you have anxiety. So there's a ditch on both sides of the road. On one extreme, we have people where you feel guilty that you're even anxious, which makes you more anxious. You, you, you are ashamed of the fact that you're struggling with anxiety, which means that you hide it from your pastors. You hide it from people who would be able to minister to you and bring God's grace into your life. And you feel like you're maybe in a church environment that condemns anxiety. So you keep it hidden. And I want to give you a little lesson. This is the gospel according to the Lion King. Okay. Um, because if you remember when Mufasa is talking to Simba, he says this, our kingdom is everywhere the light touches. And as long as you hide something, God cannot heal it. So as long as you're operating in guilt and in shame and hiding things, God cannot heal what you hide. So at some point you have to say, 
I'm admitting that I struggle with this. Okay, I'm admitting that I struggle with this. I have to confess that this is a problem. I have to confess that this is an area in which I need God's grace to overcome. Anybody ever battle with being ashamed that they battle with anxiety? Is that relevant? Is that real? Okay, here we go. Let me tell you the other extreme because there's a ditch on the other side of the road. Here's the ditch on the other side of the road. The, the first extreme is ashamed. The second extreme is acceptance. It's just the way it's always going to be. So now you have moved in with anxiety. You, have, you are cohabitating with anxiety. Y'all got an apartment together, okay? You have just resolved, this is just a thorn in my flesh, and this is just going to be what it's going to be, and you have full-blown accepted it. You have stopped fighting against it. You do not even mess with it no more. And by the silence in the room, I would assume that this is where a lot of us are, okay? Okay, so has anybody struggled with that? Like, I'm just going to have to accept that this is my new normal. Anybody? I see a couple of hands. I see a couple of hands. Here we go. Here, there is a middle road. I'm not ashamed of anxiety, and I have not accepted this as my new normal. I believe that by the Bible that I read says this, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come. Jesus says, I have come so that you would have abundant life, life to the full, which means the moment I ask myself the question, does anxiety fit with the picture of the abundant life that God wants me to have? The answer is no, which means now I've got to put my gloves on. I've got to get in the ring and I have to fight for my peace. Peace does not come easily and you are going to have to fight for peace. And I prophesy that over the room. Come on, that your fight is going to return to you. That your fight is going to come back. You cannot just lay there and just let anxiety defeat you. And if that's where you are, I promise we are going to preach you into the middle. If you have accepted anxiety as your normal, we got to preach you into the middle. If you're ashamed of anxiety, we got to preach you into the middle. Because you've got to admit it, but then you have to fight it. I have to admit it, okay? I'm struggling with this. I'm not scared to say the word. <laughs> it is, I'm going to name it. I'm going to call it by its name. This is anxiety. And then I'm going to put a strategy together to defeat this thing. I cannot just wallow in defeat. I cannot just be anxious for years and years and years of my life and let the enemy steal my peace and my joy. I got to put my gloves on. I got to get in the ring. I got to get my sword. I got to get my sling and my stone. And this Goliath is coming down. Here's my first precursor before we even get into my points. You cannot defeat anxiety with a lazy spirit. You cannot defeat anxiety with a lazy spirit because this Goliath ain't going down easy. So you have to resolve in your mind. I'm in this ring for the full nine rounds. Like, we going, we, we, I'm not, one of us is leaving dead, and it ain't going to be me. See, it's so easy um, to battle with anxiety and just be tired of fighting. And I would contend that the enemy doesn't have to defeat you if he just makes you tired. Come on, there are so many of us, the enemy has already defeated us because you're just tired of fighting. But let me tell you something. The moment you sign up to be a Christian, you sign up to fight. 
The battle that we wage is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Come on, in high places. So you have to be aware. There is an enemy assigned to my life. He wants to steal my peace and steal my joy. He wants to rob me of an abundant life. And the moment you sign up to become a Christian, Jesus did not save you from safety. He saved you into a life where you are now a soldier and an army. And he needs you to fight. He needs you to get your spiritual weapons together. Paul would say it this way, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against wickedness and the evil schemes of the enemy. You need what? The helmet of salvation. You need the breastplate of righteousness. You need the belt of truth, but you need the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You need the shoes that are fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. You need the full armor of God and you need the sword of the spirit. So we're going to have to fight this thing. You cannot defeat anxiety with a lazy spirit. You're going to have to be proactive, not reactive. You can write that down. In order to defeat anxiety, you are going to have to be proactive, not reactive. Once you're in the middle of an anxiety attack, we're almost too late. We need to be preventative and proactive. Hello. Not reactive. Because just because you haven't been anxious for a couple of months see here's what happens people will get partial victory and then stop fighting David didn't David could have stopped once the stone killed Goliath but he didn't stop there he's like "Mm -mm, I need to make sure this joker dead dead (laughs) the stone has killed Goliath Goliath is dead and David's like "Mm -mm, I don't believe it (laughs) So he runs to Goliath, gets the sword, cuts off his head, and keeps the sword. Sometimes we experience partial victory. So yeah, you haven't been anxious for a couple of months. And guess what? The stuff that got you free, you stopped doing it. And now the enemy sees a foothold where he can get back in. Because whereas you were sharp and you were on your game, to get free, now you've gotten lazy again. I'll say it this way. When, when we talk about a foothold, don't, the, the Paul says, don't give the enemy a foothold, okay? <laughs> Me and my wife, we're big, we're big kids, okay? And so um, there are a lot of times where we will literally be running around our townhouse, like chasing each other or tickling each other or wrestling. Like we're just big kids, okay? And at one point, I remember a couple years ago, I'm chasing my wife through our townhouse. She's running around the living room. She finally ran upstairs and she ran into our room and got into the room and tried to close the door. But as she closed the door, I slipped my foot in the door. Because I was able to slip my foot in the door, next thing you know, my knee was in the door. Next thing you know, I got my hip in the door. Next thing, my hand was in the door. And see, a lot of you, you think you're free, but the enemy has his foot in the door. And you think you have peace, but you don't have peace. And a lot of us, we get partial victory and we stop fighting. But I want to help you today because you've got to get full victory in your life. You've got to lock. You've got to get the door closed. You've got to get the door locked. You need ADT. You need an alarm system. I mean, we need to get fully free. Is this helping? Is this helping? Okay, number one. Let's finally get to, like, my first point. And I got my laptop ready because I, I want to I wanna really teach this. 
okay? Um, we're going to go, if you're taking notes, we need to go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. It says, for to us a child is born. This is Isaiah prophesying about the birth of Jesus. There we go. Uh, this is Isaiah hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus prophesying about Jesus. And it, and it says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That, that's a key word right there. And the government, okay, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We got four titles for, for Jesus, and we got this key word called government, which lets us know, Isaiah lets us know, that Jesus is coming to establish his governing rule in the world. And every government, if you're a citizen of America or a citizen of another country, you realize that the moment you enter citizenship with a nation, the moment you acknowledge that government as your governing authority, you get into a very specific kind of relationship where the government has certain responsibilities, which means that there are rights that you have as a citizen. Okay? We, we, we know our rights as Americans. And we like to talk about our rights. I have the right to a freedom of speech, right? I have the right to freedom of religion. You know your rights. But those rights also come with responsibilities, okay? I cannot expect that I can use my rights as a citizen if I don't take up the mantle of the responsibilities of a citizen. I had a kid in our youth group a couple years ago. His name was Kenneth. I love Kenneth. I actually have told a Kenneth story before. Because Kenneth was the kid in my youth group that wouldn't worship, okay? And I kept lying to him like, hey, man, when you worship, it changes the room. Like, I don't know if you remember that story, okay? Kenneth um, had applied for college, got accepted to North Carolina Central University, um, and he sent in, because of the, uh, the amount of money that his parents made, he had a right to financial aid, okay? He had a right to financial aid. And he had gotten some scholarships. He had a right to those scholarships because of his grades and all this other stuff. And he had got accepted. So he had the right to attend the school. When he did his FAFSA, he found out that his parents had not paid their taxes in over two decades. Yeah. So although Kenneth had a right to attend the school, although Kenneth had a right to financial aid because of his parents' economic status, his parents had not fulfilled their responsibilities. So Kenneth could not access or utilize his rights because his parents short-circuited his ability to use his rights because they did not handle their responsibilities. Here we go. As a believer, we have a lot of people who want to claim the rights of peace that come with God's governing power. But you have not handled your responsibilities as a citizen. Uh-oh. This is where we're stepping on toes a little bit. Because you cannot claim by promise what you deny by principle. Okay. A lot of us want to claim the promises of God. God has a plan for me. His plans are not to give me, not to harm me, but to give me a hope in the future. However, guess what? All of the promises of God are built upon the principles of God. And I cannot claim by promise what I deny by principle. 
Okay, Pastor Manny, then what are my responsibilities as a citizen? Isaiah says this, he is the prince of peace, which means peace is a right that I have as a citizen. His government comes to rule in my life, and his peace is something I have access to. Here we go. But if he is not the prince, I can't access his peace. If he is not my prince, I cannot get his peace. A lot of believers want to make other things their prince, but still want Jesus to give them his peace. If your boyfriend is the prince of your life, uh uh-oh. If your opinion is the prince of your life, if money is the prince of your life, if your boss at work is the prince of your life, and by prince we mean boss, lord, we mean the governing authority of your life, the thing you are most that you have given your heart to, the thing that you are actually in allegiance with. If something else is prince of your life, then that means it is that thing's responsibility to provide peace for your life. I cannot work at Burger King and think that McDonald's is going to give me a check. Whatever prince I set up in worship is the thing that has to provide for all of my needs. And a lot of us, we think Jesus is prince. But when we really start examining your life, there are idols in your life that you have set up. And it is very possible for Jesus to have lordship over a certain area of your life, but not all areas of your life. Uh Uh-oh. See, in order to have financial peace, then he has to be the financial prince of my life. I'm never going to have financial peace if really my job is the prince of my life. Let let me help you. Uh, Your job is a resource. It is not the source of income or the source of provision in your life. It is a resource. And the moment you idolize a resource and make it into a source, now it is that source's responsibility to provide not only money for you, but peace for you and fulfillment for you and joy for you. And no job can do that. No title can do that. No corporate No American corporation can do that for you. Identity comes from one place. And even if I lose my job, I will still tithe. Hello. Because he is the prince of my life. See, we know who the prince of your life is based on how you spend your money. Because your bank account don't lie. Hello. Let's just make it plain. Your bank account don't lie, boo-boo. It don't lie. We know what you love based on what you swipe. I have a friend. His name is Sam. He loves bowling. Love bowling. Pastor Shane knows Sam. Sam, if you ever like want an inside scoop on Sam, Sam has a bowling bag. He has bowling balls. No, I'm not joking. He has his own bowling shoes. He's in a bowling league. I mean, Sam bowls. He loves bowling, so guess what? Bowling costs him money. You can't say you love something if you don't spend any money on it. He loves bowling. So his, his, his bowling balls, that costs money. I don't love bowling. So I will spend $18.99. 
on, on rental shoes and to use a lane twice a year. <laughs> Sam has a, a uniform, a bag, balls, his own shoes. He spent money on it because he loves it. If you would look at my bank account, you would realize I love food. <laughs> You'd be like, that man love him some food. Yes, I do. Because my bank account doesn't lie. So think about it. What would your bank account say is the prince of your life? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Everyone's like, ooh, (laughs) ouch. Because prince means lordship. It is very possible for Jesus to be lord of one area of your life, but not every area of your life. Come on. You're never going to have relational peace if Jesus is not the prince over your relationships. Come on. You... If he has said, don't date that person, or here we go, not, not y'all, my North Carolinians. Tia, how, and, and this is a rhetorical question, give me a high five. Come on, give me a high five. No, come on. Aw, she faked me out. She faked me out. <laughs> She's like, no, <laughs> I don't know you. Me and, me and Tia have seen countless, and I mean countless, young adult women come through, either be youth leaders or at the church, and they're single for so long that they start settling. Hello. And my number one question will be, now, sweetheart, does this dude love Jesus? I mean, (laughs) that's no, that's a no. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) and you can tell real quick who's the prince of their life. Their, their desire for companionship is the prince in their life. This, this relationship is the prince of their life. And guess what? They're never going to have God's relational peace because Jesus is not the prince in that area. You can make him prince in here for the hour that we spend together. You can make him the prince of one area, but you're going to have to figure out what good does it do if I lock three doors of my car and leave one door open? What good does it do if I lock the passenger door, the driver door, and the back passenger door, but I leave the, the, the driver's side rear door wide open? And a lot of us, you know what we do? We, we lock three, three doors, leave one door open, and you're going to have to ask this question, which door is anxiety getting into my life through? Which door is anxiety is anxiety getting into my life because of what area of my life? And now what I have to do is I have to get Jesus to be the prince of that area. I've got to lock that door because as long as I'm operating under man's agenda and man's thoughts in that area, anxiety will always be able to get in. Is this helpful? Okay. Number two. There's, here's some questions um, that, I, that I, I, re, I wrote these down, okay? And you know what? Let's just do this really quickly. I wrote a seven-day devotional on anxiety. Um, Pastor Shane's read through it. I, I, I created it with a, a Christian therapist. Um, I wanted to create resources for people. So, so here's the deal. You can text the word CALM, C-A-L-M, text the word CALM to 97000. I may not be able to get through everything today. What time is this session over? Uh, 
lunch is at noon, so soon. Okay, I may not be able to get through all this material. Here we go. Even right now, you can text the word calm. Don't even wait. Text the word calm, C-A-L-M, to 97000. It'll put you right to my website. You can put in your info, and you'll receive a seven-day devotional straight to your email inbox, okay? And can, is there anybody in the room who you're like, I can commit to going through a devotional for seven days? Like, okay, there we go. I, want, I don't want to just preach. I haven't sat on the stool yet, but I hope I'm a little bit, I hope I'm going through this slow enough and, and teaching so that we can, preaching is fun, but teaching builds people, okay? Um, so text the word CALM to 97000. Has anybody already gotten the email? You already got the email. Look at that. All right, cool. That email is going to send a PDF straight to your inbox. Download the PDF, go through it. It's a free resource, okay? All right. I, I, that's so cool. We, this is also, this is the first time I've given out that devotional. So we're doing a lot of new stuff with, with you guys, all right? Number two, God has given you dominion over all things. However, he has not given you control over all things. I need you to get that in your spirit. And I need you to confess that. God has given me dominion over all things, but he has not given me what? Control over all things. A source of anxiety is when you feel out of control. Out of control. And the enemy is always trying to rob you of your authority by presenting to you the things you cannot control. Okay? There are certain things that are just not in your, come on, mom. There are certain things that are not in your control. And when the enemy shows you all the things that are not in your control, he tempts you to try to control the things that are not in your control. And what does he then do? Robs you of the things that are within what? Your authority and your dominion. My therapist a couple years ago had, be, okay, I'll be a little vulnerable. Because my dad was an addict, my dad was a drug addict my, my entire life, it meant that our life was very out of control. So I grew up with a need to control things because my, my whole life without it, I never knew when my dad was going to be in the house. I never knew when he was going to go on a drug binge. I never knew when he was going to leave me and my mom with no food in the house. Everything was out of control, right? And so because I grew up in an environment where everything was out of control, I kind of became controlling. Okay, this, this is normal. For, for anyone who lives in an environment, there are two extremes that can happen. Your life can go spiral out of control or you can become a control freak if you live in an environment that is very, very out of control. So I remember being, sitting with my therapist because I believe in therapy. I believe in counseling, okay? It does not make you any less saved or any less Pentecostal or any less spiritual, okay? I'm going to give you, you can write this down. You cannot cast out what needs to be counseled out. We can lay hands on you till you turn blue in the face. That ain't a demon. That's your brain. That's your mind, okay? You have a stronghold that someone who's anointed to counsel has to deal with. Let me help you. Let me give you another thing. Your pastor is not your therapist. Okay? Your pastor is not your therapist. And especially, I'm going to say this, especially with ethnic groups, 
ethnic minorities tend to see their pastor as a jack of all trades. My pastor can do everything. <laughs> so he can preach, he can counsel, he can get me a scholarship, he, he's my financial aid, he's just everything. And, okay, why is that? Historically, historically, ethnic churches, <laughs> come on, mom, mom's preaching with me. Historically, ethnic churches are less resourced than their white counterparts. Therefore, white churches are able to provide their members with the proper resources, whereas under-resourced communities need their pastor to be everything. So it's not even our fault. Like, it's not like the, the, the reason that we grow up believing my pastor can fix everything is because typically in an ethnic church, the pastor is bivocational or the pastor is the person who is either the most educated person in the community or has resources to, to things. So the pastor is the one who can, who's got connections with the clinic, the pastor person that got connections with the school, the pastor person that got connections with everything. And we, we put this expectation on pastors. It's not fair. It's not fair. So your pastor's not your therapist. You need a counselor. Now, there's a certain level of counsel that pastors can give. But it is only to supplement what's happening between you and a therapist. Because I remember there was a kid in our youth group, his name's Charleston. Charleston said, I'm depressed. I said, no, you're not. Because I'm a pastor. My job is to prophesy and confess over you. No, you're not. Don't own that. Don't say I am. You're not depressed. Guess what? There's, we have a full-time counseling office at our church, and we then referred him to Laura, who's our counselor at the church. And Laura, her job is not to say, no, you're not. Laura's job is to say, now tell me why you feel that way. Now, it's great that me and Laura get to work together. Because I can handle his spirit. She has to handle his mind and his soul and his emotions. Is this helping to put things in context? Okay, let's move. Let's get to number two. I have dominion over all things, but I don't have control over all things. Here we go. If your source of anxiety comes from your need to control things, then, then let, me, let me help you with what my therapist did for me. My therapist made me write two lists. My therapist said, okay, let's list all the things that you have no control over. And I was like, ooh, I can write that list all day long. <laughs> I don't have control over traffic. <laughs> I clearly don't have control over my weight. <laughs> Just keep gaining it, you know. <laughs> I don't have control <laughs> I don't have control over the weather. I don't have control over all these things, okay? If you write a list of what you don't have control over, you'll write a really long list. Then the therapist did a little, little you know, he kind of tricked me. Because then he said, write a list of everything you do have control over. And what I realized is that list was way longer. And guess what? Everything under the list that I did have control over was my mood. Yeah. 
my thoughts, my feelings, my attitude, my work ethic, my time. See, here we go. You can write this down. Self-control is the best control. Self-control is the best control. You cannot control other people. You cannot control other people. Think about how much of our anxiety comes from the desire to control circumstances and people that are outside of our control. Which means this, if it's not under the realm of my control, then that means I can't worry about it. It is illogical to work myself into an anxious fit over something I have zero control over. I have no control, which means what? Once I acknowledge I don't have any control, I let go. And then I can focus on the things I do have control over. I can control me. I can control everything that God has given me, what? Authority over. God says this to Adam and Eve. He says, hey, I made you my image so that you can rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. You realize this. Once Adam tried to control what God said was not in his control, he lost authority over what? The birds of the air and the fish. He lost dominion over what he had dominion over because he wanted to overextend what he could control. See, the temptation is always there. The serpent is trying to get you to control others. And that means be manipulative. The moment you want to control other people, you have become a manipulative individual. I cannot control you. I can't control if you like me. I cannot control my reputation, but I can't control my character. See, you have to then delineate what is in my control and what is not in my control. I remember um, my pastor's son, his name is AJ, um, and my pastor's son, me and him went on a trip together, and we were flying to Denver, and um, we were on the plane. The plane had turbulence for about, I mean, it was about 45 straight minutes of turbulence, which is, that's a lot of turbulence, like, on a flight, you know? Um, And we landed, we landed, and I was like, man, you okay? Are you okay? And he was like, yeah, I'm okay. My stomach just hurts. And I was like, oh, man, I said, because I fly a lot, and I'll get into this a little bit later, I developed flight anxiety, which is torture, because I'm on about two or three flights a week. So to develop flight anxiety is just kind of like, well, yeah, uh, my life's terrible. <laughs> you know, like, I, <laughs> I would, I, no, no, I, I lied to you not. I would receive speaking requests. Like, speaking requests would come through the website, and I would dread it because the whole flight, I'm anxious, the whole entire flight. And, and we speak, we preach in England, Ghana, Australia. Like, we're preaching all over the world, which means longer and longer flights, right? So, and, and I had to realize this is the enemy trying to stop me from what God has put me on this earth to do. I cannot allow the enemy to make me anxious. So I had to overcome my anxiety. So I'm, I'm teaching from a place of like, I get it. We land in Denver and he says to me, man, my stomach hurts. And I said, ooh, I know what that feels like because turbulence used to really, really bother me. And I said, did you tense up the whole flight because of the turbulence? He said, yeah. I said, yeah, that's why your stomach hurts. When you feel turbulence, you know what you gotta do? Recline your seat and relax your body. Because you can't control the turbulence. But you can control you. 
See, this is where we begin to delineate what I can control versus what I can't control. When the turbulence starts, okay, can, can I get a little deeper? I was in the middle of like flight anxiety. I kid you not, every flight. I would be in the, in the little section, the gate. I'd be at my gate before we get on the flight. And I mean, I would just, in my head, be going through every disaster that could ever take place. <laughs> just, I'm literally like, I mean, Googling. This is terrible. I'm Googling how many flights have crashed <laughs> this year. Like, I'm Googling. See, and guess what? Guess what would happen? I would get more anxious. Yeah. Let me help you. More information doesn't calm you down. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes ignorance is bliss. Sometimes it's okay to not know. Curiosity kills the cat sometimes, right? So I'm at the gate Googling. I'm Googling, okay? Safest airlines. <laughs> To fly on. No, this is what anxiety does. It makes you... So then I'm Googling. So then I'm Googling. <laughs> I kid you not. I'm Googling highest paid pilots. Which airline pays the pilots the most money? Because I'm thinking if the pilots are paid a lot, maybe they're not suicidal. You know? <laughs> you, you, you think I'm joking. I'm not joking. I have Googled all these things. Because this is what anxiety does. It turns you into a crazy person. Your imagination starts going wild. <laughs> the moment anxiety grips you, you're, and Google helps none. Yeah. I'm reading all these articles. <laughs> anyway, we land, and I say to AJ, hey, man, on the flight back, we're probably going to have turbulence again. This is what you do. The moment you feel the bumps, you just tell yourself this is fun. And you relax your body. Let your body go limp. Don't work a muscle. Close your eyes. Lean back and just pretend you're on a train. You think I'm crazy, but guess what? It works. It works. And I said, on the way back, there was turbulence again. We land. I said, you feel sick to your stomach? He was like, nope. I said, guess why? Because you relaxed. You know why? Because you have control. Anxiety wants to teach you that you don't have control over you. But you do have control over you. You can control everything from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. It is in your dominion. It is in your authority. You cannot control the pilot. You cannot control the aircraft. You don't know how to fly a plane. (laughs) And I had to tell myself... This is what I had to tell myself. I chose to get on this flight. I am in control because I chose this. I'm not just a victim of circumstance. I made a conscious decision to get on this flight. And here we go. This, this, This literally helped me get out of flight anxiety. What is the worst case scenario? I die. That's the worst case scenario. And you know what? I'm okay with that. You have to become okay with the worst case scenario. What's the worst case scenario? I died. I died preaching the gospel. I'd be considered a martyr. (laughs) And you know what? I'm okay with being a martyr. Pastor dies on his way to preaching engagement. 
That's okay with me. But hear me. What's the worst case scenario? Once you conquer the thought of the worst thing that could happen, we're smooth sailing after that. Because the enemy wants to torture you with all these other things that could happen. But once I get to, what's the worst thing that could happen? I'm a martyr. Awesome. Guess what I just did? I regained control. I now control the narrative. I chose to get on this flight. I can recline my seat and relax in the middle of turbulence. Here we go. (laughs) So this is when God does not answer your prayers. Because I was praying every flight. I'd be at the gate. Scared as crap to get on the plane. Okay? (laughs) And I would pray, Jesus, please don't let there be any turbulence. Please, just give me a smooth flight with no turbulence. I would get on the plane. (laughs) Literally as if Jesus is like, and I kid you not. I remember being on a flight and Jesus saying this. If I took away the turbulence, I would take away your opportunity to learn real peace. Because peace is not removing turbulence. Peace is having peace even when life is turbulent. That's real peace. Peace is everything falling apart around me and I am anchored to something that is more powerful than anything that would remove any of the turbulence. Real peace is the plane is doing its thing and I am totally fine. Which then led me to this passage of scripture. There's a storm. Jesus is on the boat. And Jesus is knocked out. I remember studying that passage And the Holy Spirit saying, because remember, Jesus wakes up and he calms the storm. And Jesus wakes up and he calms the storm. And I remember the Holy Spirit asking me, what's the real miracle in this story? And whenever Jesus asks you a question, it's not because he don't know, right? (laughs) So I remember saying like, duh, the real miracle is that you calm the storm. And I remember the Holy Spirit saying, no, that's the miracle that you're impressed by. The real miracle is that I can sleep through storms. Because if Jesus had never calmed his soul, he could never calm the storm. The reason he could calm the external is because he had calmed the internal. Come on, we need internal peace. God, I want to be filled with your peace. I can never rebuke turbulence if I cannot rebuke the turbulence happening in my spirit, happening in my soul. God, I I command my soul to be at rest, to be at peace. Come on, you cannot control the storm until you learn how to have authority over your soul, over your spirit. Why? Why could Jesus with authority say, peace, be still? It's because it's peace that came from him. Peace comes from the inside out. And we got a lot of people trying to rebuke a lot of storms, trying to control a lot of external things, and they don't have control over internal things. You cannot rebuke storms or you cannot calm storms until you calm you. You got to get calm you and I remember Jesus just being like nope I'm there's gonna be turbulence on every flight until you learn how to calm down (laughs) this is when Jesus does not want he does not do what you want him to do come on you walk with Jesus long enough and he's just kind of like yeah I'm not your genie (laughs) I'm gonna do what's best for you I'm gonna make you eat these vegetables 
I don't care. I don't care if you want a donut. <laughs> Come on, because we think we know what's best for us. But we don't know. We know what looks good. We don't know what is good. And I remember every flight, like I rebuked turbulence. Jesus just one time, no turbulence. And Jesus would be like, no, because if I took away the turbulence, I would take away your chance at learning real peace. Real peace. Here's one of the things that I did while I was on flights. Because anxiety is oddly communal. Western individual culture wants to teach us that we're not interconnected. You realize that if you're an American or if you live in a Western culture, we are hyper individualized. And that's just not the truth. I mean, the reality, if you talk to anyone from an Asian background or from an Indian background or an Eastern background, they... And they, the opposite of us, they are not hyper-individualized. They are hyper-group-oriented. So we were just in England talking to some Indian friends that, I mean, have immigrated to the UK from India, and they are still, they're both going to have an arranged marriage. We're talking about people in their 20s, and they believe that their family has the ability to choose for them a good spouse. Like, I mean, foreign to us. You hear arranged marriage, you're like, uh-uh. <laughs> We, but we live in a hyper-individualized culture. So our rights and our choices matter a lot to us. Whereas for someone living in an Eastern or, or tradition that's not Western, what's best for the group matters the most. We are oddly interconnected. I remember, it's funny because you can learn a lot about anxiety just being on a plane. Because <laughs> when the turbulence gets bad, you can tell who's scared. And the fear can spread. Do you get what I'm saying? Like the moment one person gets jumpy, the, next, the person next to them starts getting jumpy. Yeah. So guess what I started doing on flights? I found the person who was the most unfazed by turbulence. It was typically like a middle-aged white guy. <laughs> I don't know why. But middle-aged white men are not bothered by turbulence. <laughs> I don't know what it is. So I would find some middle-aged white guy who looks like he's on a business trip, wearing a suit, and literally the plane is... Feels like we're on a cobblestone street in the highway, right? It's like... And I would look over, and my man's just like... (laughs) Typing up a report. And you know what I started doing? Just staring at him. (laughs) I'm not lying. And I just went, if he can be calm... I can become. You know what I didn't do? I didn't lock eyes with the woman who's freaking out. Why? Because if I look at someone who's freaking out, I will go, well, if she's freaking out, I should be freaking out. Because we're oddly connected. You know the best thing you can do to combat anxiety? Get around some calm people. Get around people who are calm. Here's the, odd, oddly enough, there's so many flight analogies. Me and Tia were in Sydney, Australia. And for about 30 minutes, we were near the airport. And I just watched flights take off. One after the other, after the other, after the other. Because I felt the most anxious during takeoff. 
Some people are like, oh. Some people are like, yeah, me too. <laughs> I felt the most anxious during takeoff. And I sat there for about 30 minutes and watched planes take off. And I realized how it looks is nothing like how it feels. I looked at flights taking off and realized that's smooth. <laughs> I can't see turbulence. I can only feel turbulence. I realized sometimes it takes someone who's not in your circumstance to say to you, actually, it looks much better than it feels. I get it. It feels like your life is falling apart. But you know what? I know you. I'm looking at your life. And you know what? It's better off than you really realize. You're further along than you were this time last year. Like at some point, you have to believe the people who can see the thing you can't see. Sometimes when you're in the middle of a circumstance, you just feel the anxiety of it. And you need people who can see how smooth your journey actually is. Because they have a better grasp on your reality than you do. Someone would look at your flight and go, nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. That plane is flying through the sky perfectly normally. However, you feel like it is totally out of control. So while I'm in the, on the plane, I imagine while I'm taking off, I go back to being in Sydney and I'm looking at flights take off and I go, yeah, it's totally fine. How it feels is not how it looks. How this feels is not how this looks, which means I need friends. I need people in my life who can sober me up. When I start freaking out about something, when I start complaining about stuff, when, I, when my anxiety is getting overwhelmed, I need people to say, whoa, hey, 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 relax. Hey, God got you. God's got you. You know what else I started realizing? The last time turbulence happened, it was fine. We landed safely. The time before that, there was turbulence. We landed safely. The time before that, turbulence happened. We landed safely. You know what? Flying and turbulence are synonymous. Yeah. This is what flying feels like. Wow. This is not what crashing feels like. <laughs> In a crash, there is no turbulence. Yeah. It's just crashing. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Life is turbulent. Sometimes it, you need someone to say, hey, hey, guess what? Losing your job is a normal part of life. Hey, being angry with your spouse is a normal part of life. Hey, hey, a parent that you need to put boundaries around, normal part of life. The thing that you're freaking out over is a normal part of life. This is turbulence is what flying feels like. I just had to resolve wait, it was turbulent the last time, it was turbulent the last time, it was turbulent the last time, and I was anxious over nothing. I've resolved this. If I'm going to be anxious, it's going to be over something. That helps to take that verse to a whole new level. The Bible says be anxious for nothing. So if I'm going to be anxious, it better deserve my anxiety. And then I started remembering this. When I'm in a turbulent circumstance in my life, guess what? God came through before. Yeah. And God came through before. 
wait, there was turbulence before and God made it, made us land safe. Wait, wait, wait. Turbulence doesn't mean that we're not safe. Turbulence just means that I'm out of my comfort zone. And that's where growth happens outside of my comfort zone. Growth happens when I have stretched beyond my capacity and I actually need God to make up the difference. All anxiety is, is when you have stretched yourself beyond and you feel like you're going to snap and God comes in and says, come on, I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I'm not going to let you fall. I got this. Sometimes anxiety is just what it feels like when you're in the middle of faith. Come on. You can stay in the boat or you can take a leap of faith and try to walk on water. But guess what? That's an anxious thing. Am I going to sink? I don't know. Is this helping? Okay. Jesus says this. This is the verse that helped me center around. He's not going to take the turbulence away. Because his goal is that I could be on a flight and it be totally turbulent and me be totally fine. Jesus says this. In this life, you will have trouble. But don't worry, I have overcome the world. Come on, Jesus doesn't say, this is like a promise. (laughs) This is the worst promise in scripture. (laughs) In this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you will have turbulence. And you know what? Here we go. This is going to step on our toes just a little bit. I think that part of the reason that we're anxious, like that our generation is anxious, is that we've been taught a lie. Mm -hmm. That life is just going to be like easy. So we're anxious because we have a bad expectation. Let me help you. While you're experiencing peace in America, there are soldiers experiencing anxiety on the front lines. Because peace costs something. You don't get peace without war. They go hand in hand. If you want peace, that means this. The Bible says this. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything make your request known to God. Which means if you're going to actually overcome anxiety, you better become a prayer warrior. Because it makes no sense to be anxious over something and not let it make you into a prayer warrior. Sometimes, here's the thing. We think that we can have peace, but what did Jesus say? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Here's what Ecclesiastes says. There's a time for peace and a time for war. See, I hope this is helping us. Because at some point, you've got to go, okay, wait, is it a time for peace right now? Because the worst thing that I could do is have an expectation for peace when it's a time for war. And we have a lot of people who want nonstop peace every day of their life. This life is not going to bring you nonstop peace. And so now, the moment war breaks out, you're anxious. And I want to help you because guess what? Life is a battle. And sometimes you think you're scared, but you're not scared. You're just shocked. Tia loves, like, shocking me. Like, literally, like, coming out of nowhere, like, ah. And I'm just like, who raised you? (laughs) And so, am I scared of my wife? No. I'm not scared of Tia. I could take you, you know. (laughs) She's actually, she's actually quite strong. <laughs> We've wrestled. <laughs> I'm not scared of Tia, but let her catch me off guard, and you would think that I'm scared. 
Think about that. There are certain things, if you sober up, you're not scared of them. It's just that the enemy caught you off guard because you were not expecting that attack. You're not scared. You have overcome the world. You are not scared. Jesus says in this life, you will have what? Trouble. There's a time for peace. There's a time for war. And sometimes the battle that takes me out is the one I was not expecting. But let me help you. Guess what? You're going to encounter some battles. You're going to need some weapons. You're going to need to fight. And again, you cannot overcome anxiety with a lazy spirit. You've got to get some weapons. You've got to get some tools. You've got to be ready to fight. And the moment you begin to go on the offensive, you're no longer on the defensive. The moment you get proactive, you're no longer reactive. And nothing helps you to be proactive and ready than to know this. This life is not just a peaceful life. I wish it was. When we get to heaven, worship will just be about our adoration of God. When we get to heaven, worship will just be about the glory of God and us being in awe of him. But until heaven, worship is not only about the glory of God, but it's also warfare against the enemy who wants to kill me. And so when I get to heaven, worship will no longer be about warfare. But until I get there, you better get a sword and a harp. Hello. Like David. I've got a harp, but don't get this thing twisted. I will kill you. And worship has to be about, oh my God, I'm in awe of God. But you know what? My enemy's not dead yet. And I have an enemy that wants to bring anxiety into my life. And so every time we gather and every time I wake up, you know what? I need some music in my life. Can I just give you one more point? It's 12.01, but I want to give you this one last thing. Sometimes, sometimes, okay, there's a storm breaking out in your life. This one's gonna, this one's gonna sting. Because Jonah is on your ship. Oh boy. Sometimes <laughs> she's like, oh wow. <laughs> that was cool to experience that. She's like, I've never thought about it that way before. Think about this. Jesus can wake up and calm the storm because he had calmed his soul. But there are some storms you cannot calm until you throw Jonah overboard. Sometimes there are just people in your life who are triggering your anxiety. And you are not Jesus. Let me help you. Because you think if I throw them overboard, how will they ever be saved? If I throw them overboard, they'll stop coming to church. Guess what? Until you throw them overboard, God can never send a whale to save them. You are actually take, you are actually the thing that's preventing God from saving them because you are not their Jesus. You are not their Messiah. And until you throw them overboard, they can never learn the lesson that God has for them to learn. There is a whale that God has ordained to swallow them up. And until you throw them overboard, God can never send the whale to actually save them. They're not supposed to be saved on your boat. They are supposed to be saved by the whale that God is going to use. If you've got a Messiah complex, get that. You got to stop that today. Because for some of us, you are harboring fugitives in your life. 
There are people who are in disobedience. They are disobeying the will of God and they are on your boat. And now you have put yourself at risk. And the people, the people like, remember, it was Jonah's idea. Jonah's like, hey guys, I know why there's a storm. (laughs) Jonah's like, okay, okay, uh, I'm sorry. If you throw me overboard, the storm will stop. There are people who are asking to be thrown out of your life. They have literally said, you know, I wouldn't be a good boyfriend for you. Yeah, that's the worst. When dudes admit they're trash. <laughs> and you still have grace. Boo-boo, what is wrong with you? He just gave you an out. Uh-oh. See, we're getting too real. We're getting too real. You know why guys do that? Women, please listen. Do you know why guys do that? Because they don't want to be blamed when they wreck your life. So they give you an out at the start. You know you shouldn't like a dude like me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Like, you a good girl. Like, I ain't good for you. Like, you know, I'm, I'm really just trying to be friends, you know? Like, because they want to make sure. Whew, they want to make sure that the wrecking of your life was consensual. So that when they wreck your life, you cannot blame them. That is why they said to you at the beginning, you know I ain't good for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Like, you kind of like out of my league a little. You know what I'm saying? Dudes say stuff like that and still bag women. They say that and still manage to be in relationships with women. Because women, ooh, All y'all have an inner Joanna Gaines. You are looking at this wreck of a house and you are like, yeah, but I mean, I can really help him. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) No, boo-boo, stop liking fixer-uppers. Stop that. Stop that. You cannot fix this man. You cannot. If he ain't got a job, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Please. Please, you told him to come on the retreat and he said, well, I ain't got the money. Leave that joker behind. You here and he not? Why? You're investing in your spiritual development and you're dating a dude who had the opportunity to come here, but he chose to work this weekend instead. Oh, Jesus Christ. Dudes tell you with their actions, we are unequally yoked. (laughs) And you still like, well, let's yoke up anyway. (laughs) Sometimes we have anxiety because Jonah is in our life. And when when you create a soul tie with someone, what's in their soul starts to get into your soul. You need to be careful. Because sometimes you have to realize, I wasn't anxious till I met you. I need to throw you overboard so that God can actually send a will to save you. Because it don't matter how calm I get, when I get around you, it triggers me. And I need to get away. Maybe when I get peace in my life and this gets like 
locked down, maybe then I can restore a relationship with you and you won't cause me so much turmoil. But as for right now, boo-boo, <laughs> I'm throwing you into the sea. I don't know how many points I got through, but it's 12.07. I got through like two. <laughs> I had seven. <laughs> I had seven. So here's the deal. Okay. Okay. I wrote a confession card. It says, I'm anxious for nothing with a wristband that goes along with it. We're selling them over there. So come grab one. Um, it says, I have dominion over every anxious thought because I have the mind of Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I've crowned him as Prince in my life. Therefore, I expect to walk in his peace. God has given me authority over all things, but not control over all things. I refuse to worry about what I can't control. I'll be present today. I'll rejoice today. I will live in today without worrying about tomorrow. God has placed eternity within my heart. Therefore, I will not, I will not worry about the temporary. Only those things which affect eternity will grip my heart. I didn't get to that point, but that's Ecclesiastes. God has placed eternity within our hearts. Sometimes we're anxious and we have to realize I'm anxious over something that is very temporary. And sometimes if we build our life on temporary things, we'll have a lot of anxiety. And sometimes I have to sober myself up and say, does this affect eternity? Because God's placed eternity in my heart. And if it doesn't affect eternity, then you know what? It's probably going to make me anxious. Anxiety is proof that I'm creative. I will not use that creativity for my destruction, but for my destiny. Right? Anxiety comes with all types of imaginations. If I can meditate on the problem, I can meditate on the solution. If I can imagine negative outcomes, I can imagine positive outcomes. I'm taking authority over my mind and my heart. I am anxious for nothing. Okay? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that your peace is available to us. God, we thank you. I ask that God, that even if there was one thing that I said today that helps to calm the storm for someone, that God, that you would use that and that you would minister. God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity, even to, to experiment with new material. God, I ask that it wouldn't just bless this group of young adults, but it would bless young adults all over the nation. God, we take divine authority over anxiety right now in Jesus' name. God, we say that every power and every principality has to bow its knee at the name of Jesus. If you've been battling with anxiety, can you just lift your hand in the air? I just want to pray for you. You've been battling with anxiety. God, we thank you right now that peace is a promise you keep. God, we thank you right now for supernatural peace in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, that we have the ability to call on on you and you bring peace to every circumstance, to every situation. God, we thank you in the name of Jesus. As I lay hands on my brothers and my sisters, God, I ask that you would calm every storm, that Lord God, that you would calm their soul, that God, that you would do what no pastor, no preacher can do, that God, that you would take these words that we've talked about today and that you would minister in Jesus' name. God, we call it what it is. God, we say to the spirit of anxiety, be thou removed. God, we say right now in the name of Jesus, spirit of anxiety, be thou removed. God, I ask that everyone in the room with their hand lifted would feel supernatural peace. Right now in this moment, from the crown of their head to the soles of their feet, that Lord God, that you would minister peace. Hallelujah. God, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
And we all say together, amen. Amen, amen, amen. I love you guys. Thank you so much for being a great audience.